Welcome to the Vivid Church Podcast. Wherever you're listening from today, it's our hope that this message would help you reflect the light of Jesus' life for all to see. Now, here's Pastor Justin Reimer. Hey, into the message we're about to to go. I want to finish and conclude this series well. But before we get into the message, I just have like a two-minute thought that I think is for somebody. I don't know who it's for. Maybe you're watching and this is just going to hit you right between the eyes. You're going to say, that was for me. I was pondering this today. That, That truth is so powerful. Truth is so fundamental. Truth is what this whole series has been about. This whole series, how do you know? And I know there's lots of people in, in one uh, area of life or another, you're just being so impacted by truth right now. And you, you, you feel that frustration, like, why doesn't everybody get this? I just want everyone to know this. I want everyone to understand this. Oh, I feel your frustration. I've been there. I, I've been there. I've felt that. In fact, I believe God has been there. God knows what that's like to know the truth and, and to watch people miss the mark. It's frustrating, isn't it? You feel like, like, why don't people just get it? Why don't they think the way I think or, or believe the way I believe? Well, here's the thought for the day before we dive into the, into the message. Whenever you're trying to present truth that is counter to the current of society, that's counter to the current of culture, that's counter to the, the current of what is mainstream, If you really truly want to swim upstream, so to speak, or go against the grain of what is current, you need both grace and truth. There's a lot of people who feel like the facts are just so compelling that ought to do enough, but it's not the way it works. There's other people who feel like I'm just going to be super gracious, I'll be super kind and friendly, and hopefully that'll somehow turn the tide. But Grace in and of itself is not enough as well. The two need to be married together. Grace and truth. Or here's how I remember it. I need fact, but I also need tact. Check this out in the book of John chapter 1. I quote this scripture maybe as much as any other in the Bible. Check this out. John chapter 1. Here's how Jesus came into the current of the world that was going the wrong way and made a difference. It says in John chapter 1 and verse 14, John chapter 1 and verse 14, uh, it says this, the word became flesh, this is Jesus, and he made a dwelling among us. He was present, incarnational, real, in person. He, He made a dwelling among us And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus, when he wanted to change the narrative of the world, when he wanted to change the story of human history, he came from the Father, full of both grace and truth. If you're watching today and you feel compelled by truth in any sort of area, you just need to know, God, I need more of this, more truth, more grace, more grace, more truth. And they're not uh, diametrically opposed. In fact, truth is full of grace and grace is full of truth. You need fact and you need tact. This is Jesus, by the way, who the Bible says in John 1, 5, uh, comes like the light. It says the light shines in darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. He, he was coming as the light into the overwhelming darkness. He was really trying to change 
the narrative change the story. So if you feel compelled by a truth in any sort of way, maybe you're passionate about a project, maybe you're passionate about an area of revelation you've had, maybe you're passionate about the gospel. If we're going to see the world changed by truth, we are going to need God to fill us with his grace as well. We need both fact and tact. Is that good? Come on, is that good? Is that helpful? If that's you, maybe just say, hey, Pastor Justin, that was for me. But don't turn this off. Just because you think you got everything you need, the message is not over. In fact, the message is just beginning. I'm going to try to be brief today, but I hope it's going to be helpful in your walk. The message title today is simply this, but how though? You see, this whole month I've been saying, how do you know? This whole month we've been focusing on this theme, but how, how do you know? And, and, and we've illuminated that truth matters. We've illuminated that the Bible is reliable. We've illuminated that you can handle the truth. But I wonder if you're sitting at home going, cool, but, but how though? Like what are some of the practical steps that a person can take to handle the truth? What are some of the practical steps that we can take to grow in our knowledge of the world, the word? What are some of the real life, tangible, holdable, feelable, experiential practices that we can engage in to help us actually go from strength to strength and help us to, to line up one precept upon another? Great question. That's what I'm going to try to tackle today and give you some how-tos. Just a few very simple uh, pictures, if you will, that I hope will be helpful. Now, in John chapter 8 and, uh, and verse 31, the Bible says this. Jesus is speaking. He says, if you do the things I've asked, then you're my disciples. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. That's some powerful, potent reality that truth has for us. In, in Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, it says this. Uh, that we are called to fix our eyes... Uh, on, on mercy. It says, in view of God's mercy, let's offer our bodies as a living sacrifice that's holy and pleasing to God as an acceptable act of worship. Says, Don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by what? By the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I, I, I bring up these scriptures for two reasons. One, they're very common scriptures. But two, they highlight the power of truth. Jesus says truth has the power to set us free. Paul says in Romans that if our mind is changed, it actually has the power to position us in a place to test and approve, to really know and understand what God's will for our life is. It's so powerful. That's why it matters, of course, that we handle the truth well, because it's so life-changing. It has the power to do something that matters. And you're sitting at home saying, but how though? Okay, check this out. Uh, just last week, I had to go and address a few issues of insurance as it related to this office that we're presently broadcasting church from. And uh, so I was looking into making sure that we were properly insured for the type of business that we run, which is a church, uh, for the type of production that we do in here. And so I, I found my way over to an insurance agent. I looked it up online. I went there. I found it. And I approached the window because we're being really COVID safe. And we're, we're through a window of Plexi with a little microphone. And I said, hello, today I'm actually looking for some, some insurance. And uh, he answered back, almost surprised that I would be asking such a crazy question. He, well, what kind of insurance? I said, sir, that's a great question. It's 
That's a really good question, what kind of insurance. In fact, I might need some help from you to know exactly what kind of insurance that I need. Could I describe to you what I do? Well, he looked kind of annoyed and put off. He goes, ah, yeah, I guess. And I said, cool, here's what, here's what we do. We're a church, and I explained where we were located and the size of the room and the things that we do. And, and, and as I was partway through, he cut me off. He's like, hey, hey, why don't you already have that type of insurance? I said, well, again, sir, great question. I actually don't know what that type is because that's why I'm here asking the question. He goes, do you realize how much work this is going to be? I said, again, sir, I, I don't realize how much work it's going to be because I don't sell insurance. I was sort of expecting you were the insurance salesman and you might know how much work it was going to be. And, and we went back and forth a few times until ultimately I said, you know what, sir? I prefer not to be made to feel stupid. Clearly, you're not looking to serve me today. I'll go find somewhere else. And so I, I walked down the street made one phone call, found an incredibly helpful uh, customer service person at another agent. They were able to answer all the questions I had. But, but the interesting thing was this, this back and forth around insurance. And I found myself agitated and sort of frustrated at the whole altercation, the whole interaction. I thought, man, that was a lot of work for, for insurance. It was a lot of back and forth for simply something like insurance, a lot of pushback. And, you know, as I, I had this conversation, I was reminded of this, that truth, the truth of the gospel specifically, it's not just insurance. It, it's not just helping us, you know, be prepared when bad things happen. The truth of the gospel is more like an investment. You know, in, in the very same time, you know, within the same couple of days, I had some questions to ask of someone who's smarter than me in the area of investment. And I asked them some questions, and I didn't know the answers. And we went back and forth around types of investments and what they result in and how to engage in them. And I'm just reminded, the truth is not insurance, it's investment. When we're seeking out God's truth as simply a policy of insurance, uh, all we're asking is, what are the premiums? What's it going to cost me, and how simple can I make it so that when bad things happen, I have a safety net? But when it comes to the truth of the gospel, look what Jesus said. It has the power to set us free. It says in Romans that it has the power to position us to understand what God's will is. This is about an investment. This is not about premium. It's about potential. And so I hope today your, your mind is being shifted and changed just around the true value of really digesting and understanding truth. In fact, I hope over the, the series of these weeks, you found yourself excited at the thought that you can actually handle the truth, that you can know what truth is, that you can develop a godly worldview that positions you to understand him better. But of course you're asking, but how though? Again, fantastic question. Let me try to address it in just a, a few short minutes with a, a couple of really simple pictures. Because God's truth is not insurance, it's investment. Because God's truth is not just about a premium that, that protects me from bad things. Like there's people who think, there, now I've met Jesus and I don't have to worry about anything anymore because one day I'll be in heaven. And that's good enough for me. But, but you know what? It's not good enough for God. 
It's not good enough for God. It's not a good enough response to the gospel to just say, now I never have to think again because heaven is my home one day. What's good enough for God, a good response is to invest, to invest ourselves, to push ourselves, to ask that extra question to understand so that we can reap in the incredibly potent, powerful return of walking in relationship with him, walking in freedom, understanding his will. In a couple of weeks, we're going to be watching the Olympics. I don't know about you. I love the Olympics. All throughout my house, everyone, we're, we're, we're down with the Olympics. If it's happening in the Olympics, I'm cheering for it. Like there, there are some sports I don't think about any other time except for Olympics. But when it's Olympics time, especially if someone's got a maple leaf on, I'm with it. Steeplechase. Let's do this thing. I love Olympic steeplechase. Sailing. I don't know when else I'd watch sailing, but when it comes to the Olympics, I'm down for sailing. Let's watch some competitive kayaking. Whatever it is, I'm down with it. I'm excited for it. And it's not just because it's a feat of strength or a feat of skill. It's because of the story of overcoming, the story of someone's investment into that very thing that sets them apart. It's not simply that person can throw a rock further than that person. Awesome. It's when you start to understand the backstory of what they had to overcome and how hard they had to work and how, how meticulously they had to train. That's why in the Olympics, you're never going to see chair sitting as an event. Because it, it's, it's just too safe. It's too comfortable. Wow, look at them. They sit on that chair so well. They don't even move. It's amazing. It's not going to be because it takes no investment. The truth, if we simply see it as a chair to sit upon, now I understand the truth. I can just be comfortable that's not a, a life-changing story. No, Paul says this. It's about your faith and the one who runs their race that is set out for them runs in such a way as to win the prize. I believe this, that if we pursue truth with that type of aggressiveness, with that type of single-mindedness, that type of focus, we actually run in such a way as to win. But of course, you're asking me, cool, I, I had you. I had you, you're, you had me, you know, five minutes ago, but how though? Okay, let me get to that. How do we pursue the truth? How do we walk in the truth? How do we understand things that we don't presently understand? Well, I think, I think it comes down to this. We need to have a desire and a passion to be right. Now, that's not hard for some of us. I remember uh, probably the first time I became aware of how good it feels to be right was in the year 1989. And uh, I was talking to my Uncle Gary. And Uncle Gary was sitting in the living room and trying to explain to me the dynamics of, of the NHL playoffs. And that particular year, some of you will remember, I know Jerry Desjardins, you'll remember this, the Montreal Canadiens were playing the Calgary Flames. I did not care about either team. I didn't know a detail about either team. But my uncle Gary said, oh, the, the, the Montreal Canadiens are going to win this series. And I remember, not, not yet seven years old, I said to him, Uncle Gary, the Calgary Flames are going to win. And within a couple of weeks, guess what happened? The Calgary Flames won. And I cheered for myself as if I had accomplished something. I, I had no backstory. I had no, no knowledge. Jerry... Desjardins again in Toronto. So sorry for bringing up that wound. Hopefully the, the Canadians are still doing well enough. Maybe this is, this is our year to have the Stanley Cup back in Canada. But, but there I was, six, seven years old, and I, I remember thinking, this being right thing 
is awesome. But I didn't have to put any effort into it. I simply guessed. It was like the flip of a coin. You know, th this happens all over the place. We love to take credit when we called it, when it totally knew that was gonna happen, when there's, there's nothing ventured, nothing gained. It's easy, like, like uh, when we announce the gender of our child after the baby is born, without fail, people say this, oh, I knew it, knew that was gonna be a girl called it, knew it was going to be a boy. But maybe, I guess, you, you didn't know, you guessed. When it comes to truth, I don't just want to guess it. I want to know it. We got to care to actually know what is truth. If truth has power to set us free, to position us in such a place that we can know and understand what God's will is, then we got to want it. We have to have a desire to know what is true. And again, you're asking me, but how though? Well, when it comes to that desire, that want to be right, not so others can be wrong, not so we can rub it in their face, so that we can walk in the truth and live in that freedom, we will come up against some problems. When we come up to a problem, how do we respond? When we come up to an area where we don't understand, how do we develop understanding? Very simple. The response to problems is asking good questions. We have to become more comfortable with asking questions in areas where we don't already know the answer. I found it interesting over the last number of months, it's probably been happening longer than that, but I, I feel like I keep seeing this statement, normalize this. Whatever it is, people just wanna feel normal in what they do. Let's normalize drinking hot coffee on a hot day. Let's normalize you know, cheering for a sports team that that is in another city, I don't know, whatever it might be, normalize the thing that I already wanted to do, that I already do. But when it comes to asking questions, I do think we need to normalize asking questions. My kids have this, this little game, looks something like this. If you can see it from where you are, it says 20 questions on it. It's got a little screen, a couple of buttons, one says no, one says yes, one says sometimes. And, uh, and this little machine is crazy. It plays 20 questions with you, and it gets the answer probably 95% of the time. Collectively, the kids will, will say, let's, let's think about hairbrush. And then it'll start asking questions, and it actually guesses hairbrush. And they go, okay, well, maybe it's got a speaker on it. Maybe it's got some AI working here, and so let's just write it down. Uh, you know, telephone booth. And then it guesses telephone booth. Okay, let's think of the most random animal. What about an aardvark? And then, they, then it guesses aardvark. It's crazy. Why? Because it asks 20 questions. Like, like really when you think about it, to ask enough thorough questions, you can usually find the answer to anything, especially when someone kind of wants you to know. When you come up with problems of faith, things you don't understand, you come up with, with an issue, maybe you see something online and someone says, well, how can the Bible be true if, and there's a question that assaults, assaults you and you feel like, I don't know that answer. Well, ask some good questions. Do you know you can ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you through the Bible? You can ask a leader or a pastor or a mentor or a scholar. You, you can ask uh, you know, great resources. I got a book here. 
Check this out. This book, Systematic Theology, great book. By the way, if you like, like, like reading and want to grow in your understanding of faith step by step, like ask good questions of books. The, the thing that is required is that you actually have, the patient, have to have the patience to do so. You see, God's not intimidated by questions. In fact, most of the way Jesus engaged with his disciples and with people was through the form of question, asking questions back and forth. But it's important that we ask the right person questions. Like you could have 20 questions, and if you ask 20 different people one question each, it wouldn't get you any closer to the specific answer that you were looking for. Just have the persistence to ask more questions. Imagine if this little machine, or maybe you've played the game 20 questions with someone before. They said, okay, I'm thinking something. And you just said, um, crunchy peanut butter? Well, no. Uh, the nation of Argentina? No, you've already used two questions. Okay, um, martial law? No. Okay, uh, tuberculosis? <laughs> like, like, imagine if you just threw out 20 specific things. It wouldn't help you get any closer to the answer. And some people just panic so much in their faith when they don't know the answer that they just start throwing random, implausible options out rather than saying, I don't know that yet. Let's figure it out. Like, if we're going to normalize something, let's normalize being able to say this to a friend. I don't know. But let's figure it out together. Like, like someone goes, wait a minute, you're a Christian. Does that mean you believe leave this? Oh, that's a good question. I've never thought about it. I don't know the answer, but I'd love to find that out together. Let's figure that out. How do you solve problems? Well, you just begin to ask some questions. This machine is, is smart enough to ask some pretty defining questions right off the bat. Is what you're thinking of living or dead? Is it, is it a mineral? Is it a person? Is it an animal? Like you can really start to define some things and the same is true of our faith. We can say, hold up. Do I, believe in, do I believe in the authority of scripture? Like once I have that question down, then cool. There's a few more questions I could ask. Like, like any good proper hermeneutic, we look and we say, now I believe the Bible is true. And so before I dive into this, I should probably be asking myself, what type of literature is this? Do you know the Bible is full of different types of literature? Some is poetry, some is history, some is letter. Like knowing the type of literature probably helps because there's some things like in the book of Psalms, which are a poem that, that are never intended at any point to be taken literally. They are poetic. Like, like, like saying this, the word became flesh. Jesus wasn't a word. It wasn't as though like W-O-R-D was Jesus and then word became flesh. It's saying Jesus was the spoken word and took on flesh. You understand what I'm saying? We've got to look at the genre. We've got to look at the context. So often Bible is misunderstood because we just never look at the context. We look at one or two little lines and go, oh, that's true. But, but what is it saying? Like even that statement, the truth will set you free, is only powerful in its context which is do the things i've commanded you and then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free then we need to ask ourselves the questions like what did it mean to the original leaders or readers and then what does it mean to me there's good questions to ask when you come against a problem don't throw your hands up in the air and give up and say it's too hard uh dig in because the Bible's not just insurance, it's investment. It has powerful potential for return in your life and in eternity. It's not just fire insurance. So that's how we, we resolve problems.
And if you're anything like me, I come up against a lot of problems all the time. But problems don't make me panic. I just start asking some questions. I start asking some questions because I don't yet know the truth. But if I continue in that pursuit, I'll find it. In fact, in the book of James, it says even this, if anyone lacks wisdom, they should ask. And God will give them wisdom without finding fault. So let's ask better questions. Let's live in the tension of saying, I don't know yet, but I'm going to keep asking until I do. And then there's some areas where we say it's not so much a problem. It's not so much like a, is this true or false type thing. It's just more like an area where we feel puzzled. Like, like what actually is God's opinion on, on poverty? What actually is God's opinion on marriage and love? I'm just so puzzled. Like, what is God's political point of view? I've, I've heard some people talk about Jesus, the capitalist, and I've heard other people talk about Jesus, the socialist. I'm super puzzled. Okay, hold up. I, I, I'm just sort of puzzled by, like, some of the genealogies. Who began, who, why did that even matter? Areas that we just seem like, it's kind of confusing, and I don't know what I'm even trying to get at. But I know whenever conversations come up that puzzle me, I just feel kind of lost. Well, here's how you address a puzzle. And guess what? I brought a puzzle with me today. Anyone like jigsaw puzzles? Any puzzle lovers out there? I got this puzzle. There's a whole bunch of pieces. And uh, there's a couple ways to build a puzzle. But here's, here's what the wrong one would be. Looking at a piece and going... I don't know what it is. I don't know where it goes. I'm lost. Here, here's another wrong way to, to build a puzzle. Still not together. You know, just shuffle it up some more and then see, and ah, I still got nothing. I'm super confused. I think probably all of us would agree that the, the best way to build a puzzle, first and foremost, would be to take a look at the picture. This, this picture happens to be a beautiful you know, skyline of the city of Vancouver. Love this city. I think I'm going to probably love this puzzle. But if I don't know what I'm even aiming at, how am I ever supposed to figure out what that is? And for a lot of us, issues that have puzzled us, trying to figure out God's point of view or perspective on anything, we feel like there's just a bunch of disjointed pieces and I can't seem to make sense of it. How can God be both merciful and just? It's just two pieces that don't seem to fit together. Well, well, after we look at the picture, we probably would try to find the edges, wouldn't we? Like a piece like that, it's a great piece. A piece like that tells me there's nothing more beyond it. A piece like that tells me I don't need to keep looking any further because I've found the edge. I've found a safe boundary. A piece like this, you can really build off. An even better piece is this piece right here. I didn't set this up. It just, uh, it just appeared to me as I opened up this box. That piece right there, that piece can do a lot. That piece, there's only three other ones like it. That piece, that gives you some really defined boundaries. And the same is true for us in our pursuit, our pursuit of truth. We need to find the edge. We need to establish the edge. And how do we do that? By getting a vision of what we're trying to build. And the vision for you and I is a vision of Jesus. Don't get lost in the minutia of a doctrine or theology that doesn't make sense to you. Just keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And the more you see Jesus, the more you get a picture of what you're trying to 
live towards, what you're trying to aim for anyway, because it was Jesus in Matthew 5.19 who says, oh, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. In other words, he says, for all of time moving forward, we have the advantage of looking back at the whole truth of God's word through the lens of Jesus, through the lens of the one who came to fulfill it and make sense of it for us anyway. So let's get a vision of Jesus. When you find yourself getting frustrated in some doctrine or getting in an argument online about some sort of thing and and what people believe and how it affects you, just get your eyes back on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Get a picture of Jesus. That's what it says in in Hebrews 12. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. And that'll give you the perspective on how to walk through hard times. Let's do that. Let's get a clearer vision of Jesus. In fact, in Colossians 2, in verse 9, it says this of Jesus. Colossians 2, in verse 9, it says, says this. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. How cool is that? That in Jesus is the fullness of God. So so you might say, well, I can't understand how God is both loving and just, and they just don't seem to fit together. Just, Just stop on that pursuit of trying to fit those two pieces together. Step back, get a clearer vision of Jesus, get a picture of what you're trying to build, and then begin to establish, like, what do I know that I know that I know that I know? Ephesians 2.19, it says of Jesus that he is the, the cornerstone. I like to look at it this way. Jesus is the corner piece. I can build off that. If I just fall more in love with Jesus, I can begin to grow in my understanding. I, I can understand a more systematic theology. I can ask some more good questions. I can continue to get that vision. It's going to help me to build a more clear picture. And one by one, you're going to find that every piece has its place. There's a scripture that confuses you. Instead of getting caught up on that, just figure out the edge and how's it going to connect to the edge. And I'm telling you this, that if I, if I built all of these pieces, except for this one, By the time it was all built, finding the spot for this one would be simple. And the same is true for things that presently puzzle you. Is this good? Oh, come on. Is this helpful for someone? Throw it in the chat if this is helping you up. Okay, lastly. So we've we've got problems. Like something i got to solve right now. Ask a bunch of questions. And don't give up until you got an answer that makes sense. Don't give up until you have an answer that is congruent with the, the scripture. Areas that you're puzzled. Get a vision of Jesus, begin to find the edge pieces, establish what you do know, and work your way towards the thing that's presently puzzling you. And then lastly, I want to challenge us as a church, we need to invest in a project. We're building something that matters. In the book of uh, Matthew chapter 16, I'm going to end with this today. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is talking with his disciples and they say, Jesus, you know that people have some different perspectives on who you are. Jesus says, well, well, who do people say that I am? Check this out. It says, uh, it says this. Well, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, others Jeremiah or the prophets. He goes, well, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter answers this. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus responds and says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, 
For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. What he's saying is this, that I got this building project that I'm engaging in. It's called the church, and I build it upon the conviction of people who understand who I am. And I will not stop building my church, and nothing will stop the continual ongoing building of my church. In the book of Ephesians, Paul says this, that we are the living stones that God is piecing together to make that church. So I want to encourage you, don't just search for truth when you have a problem. Don't just get a clear vision of Jesus when you're feeling puzzled. We need to engage in the project of growing and building the kingdom of God, which means this, continue to grow, get hungry for things. Like, like challenge yourself. Say, I've never taken the time to study uh, a book of the Bible. I'm going to do that this summer. I've never taken time to understand the Sermon on the Mount or the fruit of the Spirit or the, the gifts of the Spirit or the, the armor of God. I'm going to study and, and apply it to my life and I'm going to develop and I'm going to grow and I'm going to get there because I'm building something. Just last night, before tucking my kids into bed, my son, he said, Dad, I'm working on a Lego piece and it just isn't working. And he pulled out instructions for some, this is super nostalgic, and it was right here it was on, on step 40. And he said, I'm trying to do step 40, and it's just not working out. I can't seem to connect this piece to that piece, but I know I've done it right. And I said, well, well, buddy, before we make that assumption, why don't we just make sure that we have all the right pieces in all the right places? And so we, we went back to step 39. 38, 37, 36, 35, 34, 33, 32, 31, until eventually we got back to step 18. 22 steps before, one piece was just one spot out of place. And so I said, hey man, if we're going to be able to accomplish step 40, we got to go back to step 18. He had all the right places, or all the right pieces, they just weren't in all the right Places And I, I just wonder for some of us if that is, is true of us, where God is building his church. He's using our lives to build something. And there's just one thing that's out of place. Lately, the, the term deconstruction has become super popular. And the way in which it's become popular is actually more often dangerous than not. It, it would be equivalent to someone saying it's not working anymore, so I'm going to stop trying to build what I was trying to build. I'm going to throw all the pieces apart and try to build something different. There's people who are going, well, I didn't result in where I wanted to be in my faith. And so all the pieces must be wrong. I'm going to pull them all apart and just, just pursue something different. When in reality, we do need to go back and address what needs to change so that we can grow to be who God wants us to call, or has called us to be. If we're going to construct, if we're going to allow God to build our lives into his home, into the kingdom of God, the church that forcefully advances, then we're going to need to allow him to point out areas that we need to go back and address. When was the last time you let the Bible challenge you? When was the last time you, you looked at the instructions of the word and said, oops, that's out of place. Had the right piece, just had it in the wrong place. I want to encourage you. I think for most of us, we got the right pieces. We might just have a few in the wrong place. And so, when it comes to problems, ask better questions. When it comes to puzzles, get a clearer vision. But when it comes to this ongoing lifelong project, let's have the humility to go back and get it right. 
imagine the foolishness if if my son just said, well, dad, I don't feel like I should have to go back and change that. I, I want that piece in the wrong place. The result would be that he would never get what he was trying to build. And for some of us, we're just so selfish, so stubborn, so prideful. We don't want to go back and address what clearly needs to change. So, so maybe with a new set of eyes, we can look at God's scripture. We can look at his word and say, God, make me, mold me, break me, bend me. Do what you need to do. I want all you have for me, nothing else and nothing more. I want to be the type of person like a Peter that you could build your church upon, that, that you could invest in my life the, the most powerful thing that the gates of hell would not even be able to overcome. Vivid church in the days to come, in a tenuous time around the world where people are battling for, for truth, we're trying to understand what is and what isn't true. I don't want us to, to lower our standard and think the truth is just an insurance policy. It's an investment with incredible return. We must, we must understand what is true. We must get a passion for being right, not being just, just ignorant and also not being arrogant as if our rights give us exclusivity to, to hide in the corner and feel proud about ourselves. But we got to get this thing right because it has the power to change the world. But how though? Well, we're going to ask good questions when we have a problem. We're going to get clearer vision when we find ourselves puzzled. And we're going to have the humility when it comes to the project of this church to keep on rebuilding. Before long, we're going to be back in, in person gatherings. There's going to be some things we need to rebuild, but we will build upon the truth. We'll build upon the foundation that Jesus has already laid for us. We'll build upon this gospel that, that leaves us unashamed because it has the power to change the world. In 3 John, he's speaking. These words ring truer to me today than they ever have before. He's speaking over the church, and I speak them over our church today. 3 John, in verse 4, says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. That's a message from the Spirit of God for us today. There's no greater joy than when we, the children of God, are walking in the truth. Jesus, I pray that you would give us the determination to take a hold of your truth. That you give us that, that passion and desire to get it right. Not just like a little kid guessing the winner of the Stanley Cup. Not like someone arrogantly with retrospect saying, called it, knew it. And not with someone who's just approaching the Bible like an insurance policy saying, it'll keep me safe from bad things. But with passion and hunger to see the, all the potential that your, world, your word has worked out in the world so that we could walk in freedom, that we could know your will, that, that we could do even greater things as you promised that we could do. I ask today for a new determination to keep asking questions, that it become normalized to ask questions when we don't know the answer, to get a clearer vision not getting bogged down in what we don't know, but establishing firmly what we do. And then to have the humility to keep on rebuilding, keep on addressing. We want to be those children who walk in the truth. In Jesus' mighty name. 
We hope that you enjoyed this edition of the Vivid Church podcast. For more information about Vivid Church, check out our website at www.vivid.church or look us up on Instagram at vivid.church. Have the best day.